Good morning. Please join us with 333 Only a Sinner. Call to worship. Good morning. Call to, call to worship this morning is Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 12. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that steereth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Be not worth very sore, O Lord, 
neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we all are thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praised thee is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Amen. Uh, That's all having to do with the lament of realizing that we are sinners and whatever effort we put into being right with God is going to fail. But by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and by his mercy, we can be brought near to his heart. So for our next song, let us sing number 433, Near to the Heart of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we are here this morning to worship you. You are all we have been singing about and more. 
So please, please help us to just lay aside all the distractions of life, all the distractions of this world, everything that weighs us down. Just remove it from our hearts and our minds and help us to focus on you and you alone. We pray that you would block out anything that would seek to separate us from you and draw us nearer to you in our worship, through the singing, through the prayers, and through your word. We ask it in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, uh, if you will take uh, your bulletin inserts, uh, and we will pray this prayer of confession together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Amen. That pretty much says it all. We have this assurance of pardon from the Apostle John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's how we know that God has accepted us and that we are truly following Jesus, that it's not going to be a straight line without any going back every once in a while, but we will become more and more like Jesus Christ as we serve him together in his church. That's his promise. Amen. And now we're going to sing two more songs, uh, 262, My Jesus, I Love Thee, and 133, I Then Shall Live.
Amen. You may be seated for the reading of God's word this morning. Scripture this morning is St. Matthew chapter 3 and Psalm 2 verses 7 and 8. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill our righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heaven for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Amen. So uh, take your um, Sing Joyfully books and turn to number 626 in the back, and together we shall recite the Nicene Creed. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come Amen, which means it is true in Hebrew. All right. Well, now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you that by the gift of your son, we may inherit his righteousness by joining with him in his death and resurrection for us. Please help us to bring forth the good fruit of self-sacrificing love as we repent from our own ways and turn to walk with him in your ways. We pray for your church, especially in the United States that we would all be revived. Revived as a whole and also each and every one of us, that we may be salt and light. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will work with all power and effectiveness in many hearts to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment so there could be another awakening. And in obedience, we pray for our nominal leaders, President Biden and Governor Baker. May they come to know you through your beloved and well-pleasing son. 
And we pray for the national and state legislative bodies, especially those who profess to know you. Please do not let Joe Manchin be your only follower who votes faithfully for your way when his party opposes you. And we thank you that after almost two years that the human powers that be have finally opened up some of the restrictions they have imposed upon us due to COVID. We pray you will give us wisdom so as to know how we should live with this virus that will probably never be fully eradicated just as Ebola and SARS are still with us to some extent. And we pray for our church family. First of all, we pray for Elin and her extended family, specifically Sandy and Becca and baby Ella and Eric and all of those who have been in contact with each other. Please give them full recovery and let them experience your presence. Next, we pray for Kurt in his back. Father, we ask for a miracle that you would strengthen his weak back so it will not keep going out on him. And we pray for Al and Carol. Please help them to get settled in to the greater Clinton area. And may Carol's daughter be fully healed. We pray for Allie. Please give her strength for each day. And please draw all her children and grandchildren closer to you and closer to you in a local church. We pray for Christine. Help her to continue to grow in you. We pray for Linda and Peter. And please give Peter both endurance and wisdom to serve you and all the people in his life with your joy in his heart. And we pray for Joe and his family, especially Amy. And Father, we do pray for Noel and Darren, and especially, especially Noel's father, John. We just pray that you would keep him safe and that you would uh, help his mind to stay as sound as possible. And Father, even as all the different ones who love him have differing opinions as to what is best for him, we know that you know what is best for him. And we pray that you would help each and every one to lay down their individual desires and to seek to know and do what you know is best. In the meantime, we just trust him to you and we know that you will work all things out. Father, we also pray for, for Ken and just so many others. We pray for every member of our church family. And Father, please guide me as I explain, interpret, and apply your word for us and your word to us this morning. May we all hear from you what we are to do, not so much as individuals, but help us to begin to think together as a body, as part of the body of your son. And Father, now we come to you in the words of the prayer that Jesus taught us that covers every important aspect 
of our lives with you and on this earth. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now if you take your bulletin inserts one more time, we're going to sing one of my absolute favorite songs and probably one of the best written in the last several decades, Knowing You.
That's a great song to prepare us for God's word. God is perfectly righteous in that he always does what is right. Meaning that when his son comes to earth, fully God and fully man, both aspects of his person are perfectly righteous. Jesus Christ always did, always does, and always will do what is right. Now, in our gospel passage this morning, John the Baptist came with a command and a promise for all Judea. The command, the command was to turn fully to God. In other words, to repent. And the promise was that the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, it is near in the king. Now, people showed their repentance in confessing their sins and bringing forth good fruit. But John knew this was not enough. We can't do this on our own. So as a prophet, he foretold of the one who is mightier than him, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that would separate the wheat from the chaff. And then Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And John realizes that Jesus has no need of repentance because he is sinless. In fact, John knows that he needs to be baptized by Jesus. But Jesus says that when he is baptized by John, this will fulfill all righteousness. Now, we will develop this later. I'll take us through what that means. But for now, we can say baptism confirms inherited righteousness. And then, after Jesus is baptized, the two other persons of the Trinity affirm his baptism. The Holy Spirit physically in the form of a dove and the Father with words, with his voice saying, my beloved, well-pleasing. All of this affirms the first messianic psalm in the Bible of which we heard a portion of it read, which says Yahweh's son, God's son, will inherit 
inherit all the nations of the earth. So let's now look closer at John's prophetic ministry and how Jesus fulfills all righteousness. Our gospel passage is in two parts this morning, and each of the two parts has three sections. So part one can be summarized. In those days, John the Baptist is saying, repent, the kingdom has come near. He is the one having been spoken through, I'm sorry, um, and then he commanded them to make beautiful fruit. So repent, they were coming to be baptized. And then he says, the one coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's all three parts. The first part says, he came saying, repent, the kingdom has come near. He's the one having been spoke through Isaiah. When Isaiah said, make straight the way of the Lord. And he dressed simply and he ate insects. Okay, line by line, in those days, John the Baptist is coming near, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for has come near the kingdom of heaven. So the first word, the command is repent. He's commanding these people, all of them, to turn from a self-centered mindset in order to center their lives on God. They need to be delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought in to the kingdom of God's beloved son. And that will be developed as we go along. And the reason to repent is that this long-awaited kingdom of heaven is near. It's near in the person of the king. Jesus is the king. Back to our text, for this one is the one having been spoken through Isaiah the prophet saying, voice is crying in the wilderness, crying what? Make ready the way of the Lord, make straight his pathways. Now, this word is from the beginning of the second large portion of Isaiah, There's 39 chapters of prophecy and correction, and then there's 27 chapters that are essentially the gospel. Starting with verse 40, this comes right from that uh, chapter 40, verse 3. Okay, now, the voice crying in the wilderness You need to understand the wilderness of Judea. If you don't know the geography of that region, it's all rocks. Okay, Jesus talked about planting on rocky soil. That part of the world is rocks. And there's only 10 inches of rainfall a year. Almost nothing grows. There's very little vegetation in this wilderness. And then it talks about straight paths. You see... The way of the Lord, God himself, is straight. And in this case, straight means upright, okay? Upright. So those who take these straight paths, they trust in the Lord wholeheartedly, realizing that their understanding is limited, 
And so they seek to know him in all they do, and he will guide them in straight or upright paths. Then we're told John himself is having a garment of camel's hairs and a leather belt around his waist, and the food he was eating, locusts and wild honey. First of all, if you look this up, and you can look in Kings, he is dressed exactly as Elijah. So what is this saying here? The prophecy that was given through um, Malachi 4, 5, is now being fulfilled in John the Baptist. And later in this gospel, Jesus will say, if you can handle this, John is the Elijah who was to come. Okay. Now, we may not consider this to be, you know, the kind of food we would like to eat, but you can look in Leviticus. This much is sure. Locusts are kosher. Okay. So, John is eating kosher food, but in the prophet Joel, and, and many times think all the way back to Egypt, and what was one of God's judgments on Egypt? Locusts, okay? Locusts are a sign of judgment. Joel is telling unrepentant Judah that the Babylonians will come upon them as locusts and overwhelm them and carry them away. So there's judgment here. But even in the prophecy of Joel, the very next paragraph talks about God's salvation. And, and, and the honey that John was eating was to symbolize prophetically the land of milk and honey that God had promised. So everything about what John was consuming into his body spoke of both judgment and salvation. Now for the second section. All were going to him, confessing their sins and being baptized in the Jordan River. And when he saw the religious leaders, he commanded them to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance or else be cut down. So now again, let's go verse by verse. Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea, in all the region of the Jordan. And they were being baptized in the Jordan River by him, confessing their sins. Now the word all here means coming out as a whole. It doesn't mean that each and every single one was coming out. But every single region had many, many, many coming to him. And notice that in addition to their turning from themselves to God or repenting, those being baptized are also confessing their sins. And having seen many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I mean, that's Kind of interesting, isn't it? He's not mincing any words, John. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance? 
So this coming wrath is the judgment of God on those who refuse to receive the gospel. They refuse to repent, confess their sins, and receive God's salvation by grace through faith. And the fruit of repentance. Here's the application. Okay, again, if we receive salvation from God, Jesus talked much about bearing fruit. We must bear fruit. John is saying this prophetically before Jesus even comes into his public ministry. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love from Paul's letters. So what is worthy fruit that they're supposed to be producing? It is sharing God's steadfast, merciful, and faithful love with other people. He continues, do not think to say in yourselves, we are having Father Abraham. Because I'm telling you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Now, all throughout Scripture, especially in the genealogies, we're told that Abraham is the father of the Israelites. And then Paul, as he was writing to the Romans, as far as the church is concerned, said he's the father of all faithful He's the father of faithful Israel, and he's the father of the faithful church. And then God's ability. Nothing's impossible for God. He's able to work in even the stoniest heart out of these rocks in order to bring about saving faith in Jesus the Savior. But now, the axe is being laid to the root of the trees. Every tree not bringing forth good and beautiful fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay. Now here, fire is being used as a metaphor for judgment on those who do not produce good fruit. And now we come to the third section of John's ongoing prophetic ministry. He says, I baptize in water for repentance, but the one after me is mightier, mightier, and he will baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire and will gather we into the barn and he will burn the chaff. So, again, line by line, he's saying, I indeed am baptizing you all in water to repentance. But the one who's coming after me is mightier than me, and I'm not fit to carry his sandal. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So water is cleansing those who have turned from their ways to God's way in repentance. 
Now, this mightier one, of course, is referring to Jesus, the Savior, who will soon come to him. So again, foreshadowing. Now, the Holy Spirit, people, is a blessing to those who repent as Abraham's children turning to faith. But fire is judgment on those not repenting and producing good and beautiful fruit. John makes it clearer. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I'm not going to assume that everybody here knows what a threshing floor is in those days and in that geographical location. What it was, was it was an elevated piece of land, uh, you know, at least 10 or 20 feet higher than where the harvest was, and it was perfectly flat, and the prevailing winds would go over this land. And what the farmers would do is they would just bring everything that they harvested, you know, the wheat and the tares and all of that, the wheat and the chaff. And you need to know that wheat is much heavier than chaff. So they would just take a pitchfork and they would throw it up in the air. And the wind would blow the chaff into the valley, remove it, And what fell to the ground was the earth. So that was how they separated the wheat from the chaff on a threshing floor. It was pretty good technology taking advantage of the land that they were living in. And here we're told the chaff will be collected, the chaff that blew away, and it will be burned in a fire that will never go out. And now Jesus comes on the scene, so we're ready for the second part of this chapter in Matthew. Jesus is baptized by John, and he's telling him it is fitting to fulfill righteousness. And as he came up out of the water, the spirit descends and the father expresses delight in him. And at this point, it's proper to conclude with the psalm, his son will possess the earth. Let's go through it one section at a time. So first of all, then Jesus comes to be baptized by John, who objects, but Jesus says it's fitting to fulfill our righteousness. So again, going to our text, then Jesus is coming near from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Jesus has a purpose in mind. Galilee to where John was, was about a three-day journey. But Jesus took it with one thought in mind to be baptized. But John's trying to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But he answered and said to him, permit it now, for this Thus, it is fitting for us, you and I both, to fulfill unrighteousness. And then John permitted him. Now, in this exchange, John fully understands 
who Jesus is and realizes Jesus should baptize him. But Jesus says it's right for both of them. If John baptizes him, John relents. Now, he says this is to fulfill righteousness. Now, I will just confess to you that many of these ideas came from D.A. Carson's commentary. Full disclosure, okay? Now, if we go back to the second verse, John's baptism was twofold, okay? It was to confirm repentance and to look forward to the end time kingdom of heaven, okay? So here's where it comes from. Jesus knows by now that he is king of that kingdom. And by As the son of man in his humanity, obeying his father, he will establish his kingdom. So his baptism is his affirmation that he's determined to complete his task to bring in this kingdom. And he's willing to be the suffering servant who will justify many by his death and resurrection. And yes, Isaiah 53 has resurrection towards the end of it. And then people can have his righteousness if they will die to their sins with him. And this confirms that Jesus is the righteous branch, the netzer that we saw at the end of chapter 2 last week, spoken of by Jeremiah, and the death of God's son qualifies him through that death to inherit, to inherit everything as the son of man, as well as the son of God. And when we turn to God in Jesus, confessing our sins and asking forgiveness Because of what Jesus did for us, we inherit his righteousness based on his death for us. And then we are baptized into the body. So you see, baptism confirms inherited righteousness. Righteousness for people comes through death. Jesus died to confirm his righteousness and we die with him and we receive righteousness as an inheritance. And in the second section, as Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open and the spirit descends on him as a dove. And a voice from heaven says, my beloved, well-pleasing son, So we're told after being baptized, Jesus immediately went up from the water and saw the spirit of God descending as a dove coming upon him. Immediately, you see God in heaven immediately reacts to Jesus's baptism to fulfill all righteousness. And then God's spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, confirming that God's son has indeed inherited God's righteousness. Baptism confirms 
inherited righteousness. And then the last part of Matthew's gospel, behold, (laughs) a voice out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So notice, uh, everybody's noticed this. If you have a study Bible, it's been pointed out to you. The Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in Jesus's baptism. God's son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, goes under the waters of baptism. And then the spirit of God, the third person, immediately descends upon him visibly as a dove, And the first person of the Trinity, Father God, speaks from heaven, and he says he takes great pleasure in his beloved son. And we please Father God as we follow his son and bear beautiful fruit in him by grace through faith. And now we're ready to turn back to our messianic psalm, which pulls everything together for us. Yahweh said to me, thou art my son, ask, and I will give the nations as thine inheritance. Now, this is towards the end of the psalm. By background, let me just fill in the beginning. There's two halves to this beginning of the very first messianic psalm in scripture. It describes what is happening on earth first and then gives God's perspective. So the first thing we find is that the rulers of the nations, kind of like the religious leaders back in Matthew, they're in rebellion against Yahweh and his anointed in English, Mashiach or Messiah in Hebrew. And secondly, Adonai in heaven, the Lord mockingly laughs and holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his hot anger as he anoints his king on his holy mountain. And then he makes this declaration to his son, the king. I will declare the the decree. So this is Jesus speaking. Of Yahweh who said to me, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Now, if you're familiar with Acts and we preached through it and went through it together quite a few years ago now, in a sermon that Paul preached with Barnabas in the Antioch, which is, was and is in the center of present-day Turkey, he said that Jesus' resurrection fulfilled this part of Psalm 2. As the Son of Man, he fully was begotten and was God's Son after his death, for sins and his resurrection, which consummated that. And then after this, he says, ask of me, I will give the nations thy inheritance and thy possession, the ends of the earth. So the son of Yahweh, Jesus Christ, will inherit the nations to the ends of the earth. 
The son inherits the world from the father. And that's it. That's all the details. Uh, I hope it makes more sense to you now, but let's pull it all together and wrap it up simply. John the Baptist fulfills Isaiah's prophecy as the one getting the way of the Lord ready by baptizing all Judea in the Jordan River as they repent and confess their sins. And then John continues. He says, the one after him who is mightier will baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire to separate wheat from chaff. And finally, over his objections, John baptizes Jesus to fulfill all righteousness and the spirit of God descends on him as a dove and God calls him his beloved, well-pleasing son. And this righteous one will inherit the nations of the world. And that's where we come in. We're part of the nations of the world. And to think about this, when we come to Jesus in faith, he inherits us. You know, I don't know how he feels about that. I mean, we would think that an inheritance would be a wonderful thing, and he's inheriting sinners. I guess the good news is he has redeemed us, right? So baptism confirms inherited righteousness. In the case of Jesus here, and as we'll see going through the Gospels in the New Testament, we inherit righteousness because he died for us if we will receive it. Amen. And so, since Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm about the king, I thought it was appropriate we would close with number three, crown him with many crowns.
Amen. Our benediction this morning comes from Paul's letter to the churches in Ephesus. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, Jesus is well-pleasing, and when we are in him, we too are well-pleasing. For our very final song, let's sing number 120, Behold What Manner of Love. 